do you love audiobooks? You can get a free 30-day trial membership to audible.com by visiting audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. They have thousands of audiobook titles, as well as podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. Get your free trial membership at audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. Today, we are going to take a deep dive into what is a pretty big industry here in Southern California, tribute bands. California is credited by some as the origin of the tribute band. Supposedly, there was a band in Calabasas who was playing at a club and decided to do a night of only Beatles music, and it took off and now has become a huge scene here in California and all over the world, actually, as you will soon learn. My guest today is a major part of that tribute scene here in Los Angeles. He's creative director and artist representative at the Castle Entertainment Group, located in the heart of Burbank's media district. He is producing director at 3,000 Miles Off Broadway Productions, and he has worked in literally every capacity of the tribute field. For instance, he's percussionist currently for Deja Vu, a musical retrospective of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And he's the performing manager of TLR Experience the Eagles Music, which is where I met him because I used to sub quite frequently, either as Don Henley or Randy Meisner and Timothy B. Schmidt uh, in the band. They debuted in the year 2000, and they've been going strong ever since. They were featured on Access TV's The World's Greatest Tribute Band show. And they've played all over the country and several other countries, uh, a couple of them I went to, uh, such as Canada, Asia, Mexico, Bermuda, the Philippines, Sri Lanka, Singapore, Malaysia, and all over Australia. So they have definitely accomplished a lot. If, you're, if you think that tribute bands are uh, for bars, then you're, you're, you're horribly wrong. And if you're interested in getting into a tribute band, this is going to be an extremely informative show for you and hopefully entertaining if, if I've done my job. Who knows? And you should also look out for his new podcast, which will be coming out next year, early next year, called Tribute Talk, which I can't wait to hear myself. So please welcome and enjoy my conversation with Gary Gig Grantham. I met you subbing. With your band, yeah. the, the long run, Experience the Eagles. Uh -huh. Is that still what it's called? Well, it's we've become TLR, Experience the Eagles music. Okay. And I can go on. I'll, I'll, I'll take 20 minutes to talk about why that was. But it was a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, one of the pet peeves I have about people starting tribute bands is they mm -hmm. don't do the homework and they don't find out 
really either they don't find out who's using a given name or they don't care. Right. And I understand how that happens. You know, people, guys, they have regular jobs. They're making a living doing something else. They say, hey, we love this music. We grew up with this music. It'll be recreational. We'll play on weekends, maybe get a few gigs. I know a couple of people at a club. I can get us some gigs. And they start playing and they get decent. Right. And they start developing an audience and they start getting better and better bookings. And then they're into it two or three years and they've made a place for themselves in the market with that name and they're kind of stuck with it. But then you've right. got guys like us realizing, you know, we were the long run way back to 1999. And then a group crops up here in this state and then a group crops up here in this state. And I'm not going to call the guys out. But the right. thing is, is that it causes so much confusion among bookers and buyers and agents and marketing people mm -hmm. and most offensively to audiences. And again, right. I can go on and on about how many times I've had to chase down um, a marketing person that has advertised our group, either playing something somewhere where we're not, or worse than that, advertised someplace that we are playing, but then taken it upon themselves rather mm. than to use the, the approved materials that I furnished them right. to go out and grab stuff that's out there. So it ends up being, hey, we're playing there, but you've got a photo that looks like our dad's <laughs> and then you've got video of another band altogether. And uh, it's, it's such a disservice. So right. that's a roundabout way of getting to the point of we are more now officially going by TLR. Gotcha. experience the eagles music and we also have a um a licensing agreement in place that i can get into more as well that um is something we're really proud of but um we also kind of agreed with eagles management as to what we would be called really yeah yeah well, that's interesting that's a which by the way i think tlr is a safe way to go as well because it's you know. still, I mean, we're still getting, getting there. And, you know, <laughs> every show I say, you know, I stand there after the first couple of songs, you know, first couple of songs in, that's when yeah. I start barking, you know, and, <laughs> and uh, explaining to people that, hey, we're the long run. Uh, we, we, you know, you will be uh, Santa Clarita or whatever. <laughs> we'll be the long run. You'd be Santa Clarita. Right. You know, you're either Santa. <laughs> no, actually we're TLR. And I explain the whole thing kind of, and then make it kind of work to our advantage and, yeah. um, and to the fun of the show. But yes, that's the way we met. Yes. <laughs> but that, well, uh, yeah. And uh, that was my, this is my first venture into uh, tribute stuff. You yeah. know, I was recommended by Rudy, who's Rudy Cardenas. Who's, Cardenas. <laughs> who's on a different podcast. You can listen to a different episode. But, uh, um, but yeah, and it was, it was really cool. I started as the Don Henley, which I really enjoyed because yeah. I didn't have to play bass. It was like, bass was my day job and ooh, now I get to be a singer and just do the thing play some keyboards and percussion and all that stuff but then you guys eventually know, found out roped you into the, <laughs> I know but I remember that I think that was down in uh, Huntington Beach was it uh, was the first was that the first show that you played with us as gosh I don't, even I don't know what it was I don't even remember honestly no I, <laughs> I know I played a, a bunch of shows I know like, and it was it, for a couple of years you actually performed three roles in a way in, in our group because you did the Henley stuff, the Henley mm -hmm. vocals, which you did really well. And you were able to yeah play keys and percussion and some, I think we put, you put you behind the drum kit. I did drums we? as well. I yeah. One so. time. Interesting story. But then but, also as, yeah, we let's, let's explore that story. <laughs> but also as bass player, you played 
you kind of perform in an Eagles show, you perform the role of two iconic bass players. That's very true. You know, that's true. Timothy B. Schmidt and Randy Meisner. And Randy, yeah. 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 I think Randy that, came to one of our shows. Do you know that? No, kidding. Yeah. I mean, this is incredible because that's, that's kind of, it seems to me, and I, now I've worked with other tribute. I was in Bostics for a while and, and I did a Stevie Nicks. It's like kind of once you're in, then the phone started ringing. You know, oh, you do tribute. So, well, okay, you want to do this one? You want to? Yeah. Um, but it seems to me that having that sort of affirmation from the actual artists is, is the key to everything. You know, to be sort of approved, you know, getting that stamp of approval. Yeah, and it's... So I to say to, that you were working with management on your your name seems like yeah, that's a huge thing. and it, it's it's some it's it's something I I like talking about and I want to talk about sometimes. And then I also know that contractually there's language I have to use. Mm -hmm. Like I can't, um, you know, when say when p promoters find out and they say, "Oh, okay, can we say you know approved by or endorsed right, by?" And I said, right. "No, you can't say endorsed by." Right. In fact, if we could really avoid saying that altogether it's more of a legal thing mm -hmm. than it is a something that we promote to the general public um so maybe you can say like tolerated by yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we yeah. called the eagles and they were like all right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what it does do um you know an interesting question of course that comes up sometimes among audience members for tribute shows, but also I think it's interesting for people that are either already doing them or people that are thinking about starting them. They wonder what, what are the legalities surrounding making money playing somebody else's music? Right. I mean, you know, as not only a, a singer and song, a songwriter, right. but also a producer, you know, that if somebody's going to make money off of your copyrighted material, you expect to be paid for it. Right. Absolutely. Right. And that's, you know, and that's what, what the performing arts uh, organizations, the PROs are for, ASCAP, mm -hmm. BMI, CSAC. And, right. um, you know, so people often wonder, well, how uh, are you guys legal or are you just sort of flying under the radar? Right. And, um, you know, we know that it's incumbent upon, legally, it's incumbent upon venues to, right. uh, to have those, those rights management agreements in place with those PROs, right? Um, but what a lot of people don't know that in the case of the Eagles catalog, it's not governed by, the material's not governed by CSAC or ASCAP or BMI. Really? It's handled by a group called Global Music Rights that is a subsidiary of Azoff Entertainment who manages the Eagles. Hmm. And so Irving Azoff created Global Music Rights. So what, you know, wow. what, what people get with, with with TLR is, you know, it, it, the, uh, any buyer, any venue, any event, especially events that might be private, you know, or held at a hotel, you mm -hmm. know, we still want to know that we're doing, we're performing this music legally. They get the reassurance that they hire us. You don't even have to think about it anymore, you know? Right. You know, and, uh, uh, and that's kind of- a, That's cool. A, that is a kind of a neat thing. It's a neat feeling because mm -hmm. we can sort of, you know, we went along for so long thinking, all right, we're, we're at, at it's polite to say we're borrowing this catalog <laughs> of music, right, you right, know, right, but there's right. a part of you, especially when you start, you're wondering, am I stealing this? Right. You know, yeah. would they mm -hmm. be pissed about this? Right. And of course they would be, you know, <laughs> but yeah. you know, very few uh, tributes 
anywhere have, I think, that little bit of a, you know, feather. And, and damn it, we right. earned that. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> awesome. It'd be nice to get in a room with, you know, Boston or, and just ask them about true. Have, have you had the chance to like, do they care? And, and I'm sure it's different from artist to yeah, artist. Yeah, and, you know? and it's true. And we've had the opportunity, like, for example, I think... Uh, I feel like the Eagles would care. They just are those kind of they people. They do. <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, you know, I've, uh, you know, you meet guys. We I've met Don Felder and, and mm. Timothy B. Schmidt. And, you know, you, you at some point you want to let these guys... No, you know, you, yeah, you yeah, yeah. because you kind of want to let them know you are such a fan of what they do. Right. And they had this impact and inspiration mm-hmm. upon you that you want to say, I am invest. I'm so invest in what you do. And, yeah. And, you know, you're you're concerned about how's that going to be met? You know, yeah. I just kind of go away, kid. You bother me. Right. You know, and stop it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stealing my or can I get your number? Cause I'm going to sue you. I know exactly. You know, as a side note, you, you know, Bill Worrell. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Bill had guitar is, player. Yeah, absolutely. World-class guitar player yeah. and, and fantastic guy. And, uh, he has, you know, on and off been with TLR for, for years. And he's still a guy we'll call upon from time to time to do the Don Felder role. Well, he he got to know Felder better than any of us because, you know, Bill went on to uh, be the lead guitar player for America for a number of right. years and toured with them. And, and he would bump into Felder. Right. And now and then got to the point where Felder would just say, yeah, hey, stop being me, you know, because he, he knew. Um, <laughs> right. But I, but I mentioned that uh, Randy Meisner came mm-hmm. to yeah. to a show and we had just returned from the second time we we went on a tour to southeast asia you went with us the first time yes and uh we got to get into that but yeah. <laughs> uh we we had just gotten back and we had uh two shows at the el portal here in the noho arts district mm-hmm. uh, here in los angeles and uh so and bill was playing with us and we uh we had done the first show two shows in one day so we had done the matinee and we were about 10 minutes from curtain on the evening show. And Bill comes down in the dressing room and says, hey, everybody, come over here. Hey, guys. He said, I don't want to freak anybody out, but Randy Meisner's here. And that's not anything that you <laughs> oh expect. My gosh. Yeah, totally. You don't expect, you know, a guy that yeah. you're going to, that's what he's going to say. That's right, what anybody's right. going to be going to come <laughs> in and say, oh, by the way, there's an eagle or a former eagle yeah. here. Wow. Where's, what? He's, yeah, I just met him upstairs in the lobby. Wow. So we're, you know, we're crapping and Jim <laughs> Wooten, the bass player especially, mm-hmm. is, you know, just soiling his diaper because, <laughs> but he, we, you know, we get on stage, Jim identifies where he is and he gets to then dedicate and perform, wow. take it to the limit, yeah. you know, for and to Randy. Well, we were doing, because it was a controlled environment in a theater, we had, a, you know, a more enhanced production and we had our full video mm-hmm. going and so in those videos, we do have some references and some shots and so forth in the, the, the original guys. Right. And I, I got to, you know, afterward, um, we got to, of course, we were doing pictures and we just want to talk to, you know, Randy. And it's the first time he had ever been to a tribute show. And literally wow. he or his people saw it advertised on the marquee a couple of weeks prior to that and just wow. decided to go. Huh. I said, hey, can I ask you what, you know, was like to, you know, just listen to the music and see like images of yourself and the guys and you just said with an absolute warm 
almost just like boyish smile on his face, just ah, it brought back memories, you know? Uh, so in that moment, cool. it was sort of, wow, we, we kind of think that we made him happy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. The first time that I ever saw a tribute band, I, I don't even know if I sh should mention who they are considering the story I'm about to tell, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was a journey tribute band. I remember like the first couple of songs, I'm like, mm, well, you know, they're not journey, but you know, the drummer's a little this or that, you know, like, you know, I'm nitpicking the band as, as musicians often do. By the third song, I'm just like, oh my God, I love Journey. You know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't even matter because your brain just fills in any sort of weaknesses. And they weren't awful by any means, believe me. Yeah. You know, but, you know, I'm a musician. So, uh, and we've heard those records so many times. And no matter what, if you're a fan of that music and you're going to see a tribute band, you've heard that music a million times. It's not necessarily about being the perfect imitation of that band. Oh yeah. You know, it's just about honoring those, those tunes and, and doing, you know, obviously you don't want to screw them up, but <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, there are a lot of things that make or break a good tribute act. And I think depending on who it is a tribute to, it can be different things. Mm -hmm. For example, if you go to see a Beatles tribute show, you kind of, there's sort of this requisite need and expectation that you're going to see John Paul, George and Ringo, up right. there and the gear is going to be right and all mm. that kind of stuff it doesn't have to be that way i mean there's that great group mm -hmm. you know that willie plays in right. the fab four yeah. and mm -hmm. those guys are fantastic yeah you know but then there's also the fab four fab who four. who you think you're seeing the beatles when you oh see my them. yeah you know <laughs> i i you know my my respect for what they've done and what they decided to do all those years ago basically this the mission statement they created you know we're going to mm -hmm. just we're going to sound like the records. We're going to make the mistakes that were on the, on the records. <laughs> and we're going to create that experience for people. So, I mean, one of my many tribute pet peeves is, you know, like taglines like such and such, the premier tribute to whatever, or, <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the ultimate tribute to this, or, you know, the, uh, it goes on. But right. they are, last I checked, the Fab Four the ultimate tribute and they're about the only guys that i think sort of earn that moniker that live up to it yeah yeah but i mean back to the idea the things that make or break a tribute or uh, make them successful from an audience point of view i know for me if i'm watching one one of the things is just having that feeling that i know they're not journey or i know they're not the eagles or i know they're not led zeppelin but they could have been <laughs> and when I feel that way, right. it's not that I'm, I don't have to be watching guys that look exactly the same or sound exactly the same, Yeah, but I want an essence, right? you know? Yeah, and, absolutely. And that again, achieving that essence is a different task depending on what it is. Well, it's interesting that you made that distinction because I, I look at tribute bands sort of in those two categories as well. And like what I really enjoyed about being in the long run was that, first of all, it's the Eagles. So there's no look to achieve, really. You're you right. Know? The Eagles stood there and they still, they stand there and sing their songs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you don't go for the antics and the, and the pyro. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's just about the music and that was so much who I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Versus there's others like the Fab Four where, you know, guys are in wigs and they're in crazy costumes and some people are literally in character of that character, you know, and or the band is pretending to be that as they go out there, which for me, not as, not so comfortable. And just the way that you present it is that as well. You're, you're, you're not there to 
to imitate or you know you know what i mean like, yeah we're really there to try to nail the music and give you that good eagles experience musically exactly you know? and i think that you know the hallmark of our particular group and the the if we get one compliment or or a bit of praise consistently from people it's simply that my god you guys seem to be having so much fun playing this right and it is absolutely the truth absolutely the truth you, you populate your stage with guys that are superb players and great guys to be with first of all that's going to be fun yeah period and then right. you're playing a catalog of music that you love and that's in your sinews yeah you know and and so that when you're doing it right all of a sudden it's so resonant it's kind of like wow I, i'm part of playing this music right now but it also sounds right yeah. <laughs> to me. There's this weird thing that yeah. happens and you hope that that transcends, you know, the footlights and, yeah. and the audience thinks that. But, you know, I, I think that ex exactly as you say, when, you know, when we start playing a song, we hope that we're playing it as faithfully as we are capable of, of doing. But then the rest of it is honestly kind of sharing the individual personalities of the people on stage right you know uh, chris subkowich who mm -hmm. does who does joe basically in our in our band right um switch as we call him mm -hmm. he doesn't look like joe walsh no he doesn't sound like joe walsh he doesn't act like joe walsh or particularly play like joe right but what he is on and off stage in tlr is that levity that clown Mm -hmm. He has a buoyancy and an energy and a fun and sometimes an unpredictability about him. And we give him a little more latitude in that way, too, just as the Eagles did Joe. So mm -hmm. he fills that slot. Right. You know, in my case, I'm the game show host. I'm the guy <laughs> who stands in the middle and talks a little more than the other guys do and says, I'm kind of going to be your tour guide, you know. Yeah. And and that's what Glenn did, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. That was another thing that was a little intimidating at first is like, there's each person has their time where they have to get to, get to, have yeah, to like talk. To say get they to. have yeah. to talk. <laughs> it's both. We need those talk spots done and you get to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, but it's great. It adds to the educational aspect. Like I learned so much just from each person's little uh, snippet because uh, speaking of um, of you know eagles related people um, and switch he tells a story about meeting jack temption and right. you know lots of knowledge that i didn't know you know and uh it just adds this whole other element to the show that also is not cheesy you know what i mean yeah it's it's cool yeah you, you walk away with knowledge as well as that good feeling of wow that was great music yeah it and and those spots are absolutely purposeful Mm -hmm. You know, because, you know, if uh, I, I'm such a I'm a Nazi when it comes to tributes, I'm a Nazi about a, a show being a show. Right. That is like job one. As far as I'm concerned, I've said so many times that. In, in the tribute. Industry, we're not in the music business. Mm. We are in show business. We are taking we are borrowing a catalog of music and framing a piece of entertainment around it. And that kind of separates the men for the boy from the boys for me in terms of what tributes really need to be and the ones that are successful versus the ones that are not necessarily. Right. You know, so yeah. so anyway, those, you know, those well-placed talk spots um, in our particular show 
are absolutely necessary, almost always necessary for transitional purposes. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got like 16 guitars on stage. Well, that's what I was going to go to next. Like the the tech, it's a very tech intensive uh, show as well. You yeah. Know? And, and a lot of things have to go right. And, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we've all been there when they didn't. Yeah. And, you know, um, and, and as a player and it like, you know, I'm mixing my own monitor mix on my phone, you know, and I've got the in-ears and, you know, wireless based stuff, whatever you bring, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a video going on. Most you've got of the a, time you've got and, an instrument and a damn tuner and that's all you have to bring. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And exactly. your earbuds. Well, that's true. Bastard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to tell the story too about, yeah, the, yeah. about playing the one time I played drums because I had just practiced and practiced. And I, you know, I played drums in high school or whatever, but I'm not a drummer, but, um, but I was excited you know for the for for the opportunity and uh what do you do um a witchy woman what's right before that oh we did take it easy take and it witchy easy woman as a witchy woman. yeah yeah and somewhere in take it easy birdo your drummer yeah. great guy accidentally turned the, ah. turned the click off ah. now i i had that was going to be my same thing, you know, because oh. I can play this, but I really need that click because oh, wow, I'm not a tempo guy. Oh. I'm not like, you know, this is not my thing. And I've been playing to the record and to a click yes. for like a month every day, just yeah. making sure I don't screw this up. <laughs> you know? And then in the middle of take it easy, the click goes out and I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, oh. and then we got to transition into the next tune and I'm just taken off tempo wise because I'm, I'm thinking about the lyrics and I'm freaking out about the thing and like everyone's turning around and, and like ah, you know and it's a packed <laughs> theater and um so it doesn't always go right but you know but it's a pretty it's cool it makes it a big show though you know and and just the way that it feels on stage and the way that it comes across I mean you you're, you guys aren't just a cover band that are it playing in a bar you know yeah. it, it is a show it comes across your attitude towards it you know yeah what I mean? yeah and I'm glad you say that because I I always want that to be the case and and, um, you know, I, I really am a, a broken record when it comes to that. And when I'm talking to anybody about, or, or, or they maybe, you know, speak to me as, you know, part of what I do, uh, is, uh, do some artist representation. And it's part of what our office does and mm -hmm. booking and show development and production. And right. I actually love being that third eye guy. Sometimes it's hard as you know, you know, you've been an MD, you've, you know, mm -hmm. you've, you've, you've you you can't turn the third eye off on stage sometimes even right. when you want to just be the player <laughs> right you know but at yeah. the same time i enjoy that aspect of the work when i'm watching and evaluating something you know yeah um, exactly and then somebody might say well what do you think you know and is this marketable or is this bookable or will you represent it and i i have to be truthful sometimes and say you know you've you've surrounded yourself with really good players um right. all capable of playing the music but what you need is to make this into a show. And that may mean choosing people that are performance driven, coming at it from a performance point of view, not necessarily just a chops point of view. Right. That's not what it's necessarily about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and as to what I was saying before about wigs and stuff, that kind of goes with the artist you're choosing too. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to, you know, I mean, the Beatles thing is one of those that might go either way, like you mentioned, but um, they definitely had a look and they have eras of look, you know, and yeah. like they have Sergeant Pepper and like you kind of need to look like that. Yeah. You know? you know, so it's not to put that side of it down. You know, I was just 
I was just, I enjoy the Eagles where there's not, you know, it's more about the music and stuff. But Well, and there's, you know, one could easily make a case for, unless, other than devout, diehard Eagles fans, there are plenty of people that would not, even in the heyday of the band, been able to pick one of the guys out of the lineup right. or knew it, knew it if they passed them on the street. Yeah. They weren't like John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Right. You know? Yeah. And, um, God, I remember, um, when Tim, Timothy B. Schmidt was about to launch his solo tour of his own stuff, his expando tour, mm -hmm. I was invited down to the rehearsal by farmer, Chris farmer. Do you know, Chris, I don't, Chris was, um, Chris did some work with us prior to you coming and starting work with us. He was, he was mostly a bass sub, but he mm -hmm. came from a great, you know, like you and like so many guys, you know, unlike me, had a great resume, spent like 12 years with the Beach Boys and so on. Anyway, so he ended up playing uh, with Timothy and went on that tour and he played both keys and played bass when Timothy played guitar and so on. So cool. it was Farmer who invited me down to uh, their final rehearsal for sort where they invited in some friends and family. And uh, I walk in and uh, Timothy's there at the microphone. It was just a slight break, you know. And he says, hi, I'm Timothy. I said, hi, I'm Gary. <laughs> <You> <laughs> okay, thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. Other players were like uh, Hank Linderman, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Herman Matthews, you know. Yeah. And But uh, I just, I ended up sitting like on the floor or on the couch or something like that. And, you know, it's over here at Third Encore. And I'm sitting talking, chatting up this guy. Mm -hmm. Just friendly guy. And uh, I say, yeah, I'm Gary. And he said, oh, I'm Dewey. And uh, I say, oh, hey, you know, what's your connection to to Timothy? He said, ah, you know, I, uh, my partner and I have like a, you know, like a, a you know, a duo act. And uh, we've just kind of known these, you know, guys for years. And so they finished the rehearsal. And uh, we were just all kind of taking some pictures together just for, for grins. And, and I drive away and I say, oh, Dewey Bunnell from America, his partner, he, I, my partner and I, Jerry Beckley, you know, and I think, ah, oh, crap. And I get a chance then later, especially after Bill Worrell started working with them, you know, mm -hmm. to just go to some shows of their shows when they were in town and hang out with them backstage. And I, the first time that I did that, I got to say to Dewey, I'm so embarrassed, you know, here's how I met you. Mm -hmm. And he was so gracious and saying, you know, Back when we were doing it, there wasn't MTV or VH1. Nobody right. knew what the hell we looked like, mm -hmm. you know, and it was all kind of, kind of that. That's exactly right. I, I, I always say like, oh, that's back when ugly people could be in bands. <laughs> <laughs> I might have had more of a chance back then. I don't know. <laughs> it was back before you, you know, you had to have a look, you know. Yeah, no. Nah, Video nah, killed it, the radio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what wow. you and I have in common. Uh, one of one of the many things, you know, when you're this pretty, yeah, you know, it's just <laughs> you you just gotta go, gotta do yeah. audio only. <laughs> I have a face that was made for podcasting. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. We're good looking. Yeah, no, we are. <laughs> people should people if people only knew. <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow. So so was this your first tribute band? TLR? It actually was. Yeah. Uh, and I, at that time, I mean, we started this band 20 years ago, wow. 1999. And the story was, you know, that some guys that I didn't know were sort of doing a cover thing at, um, and I think they would do it maybe weekly at some 
club in the valley that no longer exists. And they would do just a, a whole bunch of different things, but they wanted to do it well. They were all mm-hmm. good musicians and good singers, and they liked harmony. So apparently they did a handful of Eagles tunes and a then a, a, an agent came and saw them and a guy that I still, uh, you know, work to this day, know and work with. And he kind of looked at him and he said afterward, well, you know, uh, if you guys would concentrate on and do an Eagles thing, I, I could do something with that. And he told the then, you know, uh, I guess band leader, you know, there's actually money in this tribute thing. So they decided to retool. They had one guy in the band that was just a singer. And he, when they decided to shift into focusing on Eagles, he said, you know, that's not really my, my thing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a different kind of rock singer. And besides, I don't play an instrument. And he said, so I, I think I'm going to bow out, you know, do my own thing. No hard feelings, no offense. He said, but I know a couple guys. And I had an acoustic duo at the time with a guy that had been a bass player in an original band. And that was a really serious effort. And we had some radio play and stuff, but it was a big harmony band. So um, we kind of got reached out to, and we both met the, the band leader and the three of us sang through some stuff. And we thought, well, this feels pretty good. We got a good mm-hmm. blend and so on. But I thought, man, a cover band, you know, and <laughs> right. then they started talking about some of the numbers, some of the dollar figures that were within reach out there if you got good. Right. So we came together in, to talk about it and we decided, okay, we're going to do this. And we brought the band together, all six guys in maybe the second or third week of December of 1999, talked about the songs, decided what the initial rehearsal list would be, divvied up the vocal and the instrumental parts and said, okay, everybody go away, get through the holidays in like three weeks or so in January, we're going to come back and we're going to start rehearsing. For the first three months, we rehearsed two to four nights a week. Mm. We multi-track recorded every rehearsal. Wow. Every, I mean, just mic'd yeah. it up like, like it was a show. Mm-hmm. And we'd rehearse for three or four hours. Everybody, but a, two or three of the guys would go home and they would dissect and microscope everything that was done. Wow. Send out notes. We'd take them and we'd try to be better uh, the next rehearsal. And wow. then finally, after three months, we decided to do a gig. Nice. It's intense stuff. It's, it is. There's a lot going on. And yeah. everyone's playing and singing. It's a, you know, big band, lots of guitars. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that it was worth doing to all the people that were initially in it. It's like, well, if we're going to do this at all, why not choose something that is challenging and not everybody can do well? But more importantly, and this is one of the things that I always tell people, if you're going to choose to do do a tribute and you want to do it on a high or professional level, choose a band, choose to emulate the music of a band that had a, has a deep, wealthy catalog Right, where you can put together at minimum a 90 minute show that is packed with songs that people want to hear. Right. Otherwise, at best, you're going to be an opener. Which is another reason for artists to, you know, feel flattered when they have... It is an accomplishment to have a tribute band to your to your band. You know? I know. Well, it was funny. I mean, back to America when I think it was before Bill was in the band, but Bill's dad has for many years been their sound engineer. Oh, and wow. so Bill already had been, I think, out on the road with them as a tech uh, and so on. So we started an America tribute. 
And I guess Bill one time, I think Jerry Beckley said, just, you know, said, hey, how, how he was with the long run at the time. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, how are things going with the long run? You know, and he's like, ah, great. And he said, there ought to be a tribute to us. And he said, well, as a matter of fact, <laughs> and honestly speaking, America was great. They yeah. gave us discrete track board recordings. What? They gave us a high oh, resolution copy of their logo so that i could tweak it and create the logo that looked similar to theirs but our wow. our band was called a band with no name mm. and uh which has been stolen Perfect. by somebody else yeah, now of course. i mean that one's too obvious yeah, you went yeah. too obvious <laughs> <laughs> but anyway but that's yeah that's that's i i always say that's sort of job one when you're mm. going to start a tribute unless it's just ah uh, man i love green day or I love the Gin Blossoms, you know, right, and I right. just want to play their music, even though I know like people are going to know two tunes. Right. <laughs> we're, do, we're going to do a medley of their hit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how many guitars are on stage? Have you? I have counted. Yeah. <laughs> and when it's in full force, I mean, there have been times when obviously the three guitar players have to have multiple multiple guitars. Mm-hmm. You know, we have four acoustic guitars on stage. Yeah. Uh, wow. Well, I don't even mean just four acoustic guitars. I mean, four acoustic guitar lines that may be interchanged with, you know, different instruments and then three electric guitar lines. Um, So just among the three guitar players alone, there will, there are seldom fewer than 12 uh, guitars there. Now, sometimes you add, we've added a banjo, a mandolin, a pedal steel. And then as a bass player, you're going to have your, your primary axe, but you might I don't know. You might have a five string and a four string, or you may just have a backup. Right. So there's another right. couple. So yeah, it's off. It often really is 14, 16 yeah. guitars. That's a lot to carry around, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Those are a lot of setup. Long yeah. sound checks. I know. It is very, very true, man. But especially for the bass player, I have one cable. Like I know. <laughs> well, you know, except I, I think that. The you know, sound check actually once we're starting to check right, and especially that's, when we've got our own engineer, yeah, it goes pretty fast, right? Yeah, you yeah, know, that's for sure. And, and with, with as you said earlier, complete control, independent personal right. control over your in ear mix, yeah, which is you know. great because then it's saved. And the next time I pull it up, as long as nothing's changed, it's you know, yeah. you, you just tweak it a little and, and everything's great. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's pretty great. And you, I mean, you have to be on in ears for a gig like that anyways just because of you know all oh, the singing yeah is in, that's the whole thing yeah you know absolutely <laughs> and you know i mean more and more tribute bands have gone to complete inner systems yeah front of house engineers love it mm-hmm. because yeah. oh my god the stage volume is just right. really so heavily monitor engi- monitor engineers don't necessarily love it because for kick you know bands like us and and a growing number of bands we're just all self-contained right you know yeah. we fly that rig everywhere we go yeah. you know and yeah. it's it's a yeah, and sometimes that's to Sri Lanka and and, and the Philippines, exactly, or <laughs> Australia, where we didn't get to go. <laughs> oh man, uh, <laughs> I but, know. But that rig didn't go so well in Sri Lanka. Oh was my that, that, that god, that was the date, right? We had to that we had to it. bail. We had to go to we had to run it through an actual monitor guy's board and. Like, yes, yes. Um, the wonderful engineer Melinda is his name. Yeah, gotcha. and um, we we just we didn't take our own engineer the next. Uh, Oh, the next gotcha. time we actually, I mean, he, he really was great and he saved our asses on that show. Yeah. And that oh, was, yeah. that was so damn stressful. Man. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause it was down to the wire. Rock and roll, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I remember this, you got, you got this, this cherry 
little featured spot because yeah. you you were tasked with singing the song that it w- we that was required right, by the right. promoter. Yeah. And they said and they said this the next year too. Everybody in Sri Lanka and the Phil- any everywhere in Southeast Asia, they're going to want to hear the Glenn Fry solo tune, The One You Love. Right. And I don't know if I've ever played a slower song in a rock and roll band. <laughs> I think it was like, what was it? The, the sax intro about this tempo. Yeah. But but we uh. start that. They gave us a different sax player in every town. Uh-huh. And, they, and, and as soon as that interest started, it just people erupted yeah it's like they sat politely through like life in the fast lane already gone take it easy hotel california (laughs) but when that came on yeah yeah and it seemed like they they wanted mostly ballads like they loved all the slow stuff because we also did uh new kid in town i think yes Uh, um, but glenn fry had also just died probably six months before that or something yeah that's true um which was something else i wanted to talk to you about like how did that affect two questions really how did that affect bookings and things like that and and does it feel a little more important almost what you're doing because now you're carrying on the legacy of a guy who you'll you'll never see him do it again you know what i mean yes uh and it absolutely first of all yeah yes to to both parts of that question or both those questions uh initially the phone started ringing um and agents said okay everybody wants you now i can remember our phone rang more um, you know, David Brighton's phone, who David Brighton, who does David right. Bowie. Right. You know, yes. you want Bowie, you go to David. Right. He's yeah. the game in town. Yes. There are, you know, six other Eagles tributes just, you know, you know, in California, you could throw a rock at and right. hit one probably. So, <laughs> so, you know, our, our phone calls were probably divided a little bit more, but it definitely upped the bookings. And then as far as the sense of significance, I remember playing on the anniversary of Glenn's death. I think it was the four-year anniversary. Mm. And I remember taking a moment, of course, to acknowledge that. And, you know, again, back to being a show, you choose the way you acknowledge that so that it's significant and it brings the room together and creates a more communal feeling and that people are reminded. And, you know, we, we did say that, you know, it's never lost on us that the reason we have this job is because back in 1970, mm-hmm. um, a couple of guys, Don and Glenn, were play, were part of Linda Ronstadt's backing band. And they got on so well and said, we, we should do our own thing. You know, Glenn started the band mm-hmm. and Don has never acknowledged anything other than, you know, it, it was Glenn's band. You right. know? It was his right. idea. And boy, when he died, um, we probably all remember that Henley said more than once, I don't know that you're going to see the Eagles anymore because I can't really conceive an Eagles without Glenn Fry. Right. And then they made this great choice that's working for them now, bringing Deacon Fry in, who was what, 24 at the time right. that happened? Yeah. And then Vince Gill. And Vince Gill, I mean, yeah. Perfect. I know. Beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, but, but boy, it takes, it is taking two guys yeah. to fill Glenn's shoes. I used to co write with. Uh, Jedra Schmidt, who's Di- Timothy B. Schmidt's daughter. That's right. And, I remember uh, that. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting because when I met her, I I didn't think of myself as an Eagles fan per se. I wasn't like, oh, your dad's this amazing rock star. You know, I was just kind of like, oh, so your dad's a rock star. That's cool. And he's like, yeah. And, and it was over time of just kind of, you know, 
just being around it and I'm like, oh yeah, that song and oh yeah, that song. And then, oh yeah, that song. And you uh, eventually I'm like, no, I guess I am an Eagles fan. Like it, when you break down to just the music and the, you know. I know, man. And, and, <laughs> and that, that is the same thing actually that happened with me when we started the band and began to rehearse. I didn't even realize yeah. how much that music had seeped into my being. One of our guys now, still the newest member of the band, Larry Hampton, who is currently, um, you know, the first chair in the Felder role. So he's the Felder Ledden kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He said to me half a dozen times, he, man, he said, uh, well, for example, there was a time last fall, I, I think it was, when I got laryngitis. Mm. And I could barely squeak out anything. And I had to just turn and we had a show and I had to say, Larry, uh, can you just sing basically everything that I sing? Right. And he could, even though he may never have had before. And it's that every lyrical twist and turn and every grace note Mm -hmm. and every stylistic part of the delivery was in him. him, uh, And that's another thing, man. I mean, that I think. You, you you got to experience this too when you when you see tribute shows. It's like wow. I mean, you, I sometimes wonder how sometimes how how guys don't hear some of the nuances that are there. Right. Whether it's just the step up to a note or the fall off of it, or even the pronunciation of something or the cadence of something. I think yeah. that you know it's a tough gig. It, yeah. You know it, that's. Yeah, it's not, you know, as Switch would say, it's not a toy for tots. <laughs> right. But, you know, and if it wasn't, everyone would be doing it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's the thing. I, I still one of the things that amazes me, if you had asked me 10 years ago, hey, where do you think the tribute scene's going? Mm-hmm. I would have said, oh, that wave's cresting. I love it. I've been a part of it. And yeah. it hasn't. It's still mm-hmm. there's a lot of force behind that wave, you know, and I well, you know, I, <laughs> I was going to bring it up earlier when we were talking about Glenn Fry dying, but so many people died. And unfortunately that's kind of good for the tribute. Like you can't see Prince anymore. Yeah. You can't see David Bowie anymore, yeah. you know? And like you brought up David Brighton, like he's a guy, if you're going to pick David Bowie, you have to have the outfits and you have to have the, 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 the you know, that's so much of what he is. And uh, you go see the show and it's, it's, it's entertaining. You yeah. know, it's, it's, if you're a Bowie fan, you're going to like it. Yeah. And it's all you have now. Yeah. You know, so I I wouldn't expect it to to die anytime soon. I know. You know? <laughs> I I think you're right. And I you know, even just on the drive over here I was thinking about that uh because it's still a fascinating topic to me. Yeah. Why why tributes are still going so strong. And you know, the fact that they are is great because on a professional level, man, tribute sh- tribute work and and especially tribute bands that have found a way to work all the time. Mm-hmm. have created work yeah for so many musicians yeah. right you know and in Absolutely. some cases now you know i mean being the cat you are and having the resume that you have having done the tours that you've done and knowing so many people that that do you know you you know that gig you know how that is but you also know that plenty of times you know hey you're hired on this great tour but a lot of what you're getting out of it is a res- is, is another thing on your resume getting a decent right. be, decent paycheck but oftentimes it's like it's a sideman pay mm-hmm. because it's yeah. it's the marquee value of it for you and for your future. Yeah, you know, for sure. Guys develop a good tribute band, and if they are a full time member of that group, and that group starts getting you know good gigs, it can pay well. Yeah, you know. I've often thought, okay, well, because now I'm 
I'm with a pretty good gig. You know, who knows what's going to happen? We're in weird musical times right now, obviously. But uh, if that gig ever goes away, I think about who would I call first? You know, I had a wedding band that paid really well at the same time, too. Oh, yeah. But I just can't. You know, I had so much fun with you guys. You know, I would call (laughs) you first just to be like anything you can throw me because for me, I'd much rather do that. And the pay is comparable or sometimes more. And that's what I think people don't understand, really. It's not a... It's a it's a pretty decent job on a show to show basics basis. You know, right. certainly it can be. I mean, you know, uh, most of the time with tribute shows, you're not doing really long extended tours. You might go out for a couple couple weeks at a time. You right. know, and but usually it's not set up in such a way. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes it is. You know, sometimes. It's a little bus and truck. Sometimes you know you might do that, and you might get some per diem and so on. You mm-hmm. know. Right. Um, but uh, and it's yeah. kind of seasonal as well. I I think summer is probably the biggest. Summer is big, but I think that the the working tribute bands have found a way to work all year round. You know, between mm-hmm. indoor theater shows, indoor venue shows, the outdoor summer festivals, and and open air shows, cruise ships. You know, oh, interesting. It's um, there can be definitely money all year, all year round. Oh, that's now. cool. Yeah. So there are a lot of us out of work right now, uh, waiting to get back to playing shows and touring. And I know I've had to do whatever I can do to take my mind off the situation from time to time. And one of the ways to pass the time is to catch up on some books you've missed. But if you're like me and you don't love to read, (laughs) there's another way you can consume. Audible.com has thousands of titles to choose from, including audiobooks about music production, songwriting, the music business, music theory, instructional audiobooks, and biographies of your favorite musical heroes. But besides audiobooks, you can also listen to podcasts, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive audio originals you won't find anywhere else. Right now, you can get a free 30-day trial if you visit audibletrial.com slash dive bar rockstar that's audibletrial.com slash dive bar rockstar and you can catch up on your audio reading i'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the dive bar rockstar podcast as a new podcast getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road uh, or off the road as the current case may be if you would like to support the podcast all you got to do is subscribe wherever you listen And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun. And once again, thank you for listening. Well, you are also, though, at least I I haven't talked to you in a minute, but um, you also are trying to take it to a whole different level with uh, Dark Desert Highway. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of a... Uh, almost a Broadway show aspect of it. I, I haven't seen it, but um, it's it's a much more talk about it being a show. From what I understand, it's it's much more of a show. We have you know now in sort of our menu of things that we offer, there is yeah the the kind of standard fully rigged electric show. You know, mm-hmm. hundred minutes, hundred and twenty minutes, ninety minutes, whatever you need. Maybe you get Eric Baines on bass. Yeah, well, man, that's that's going to up the cost. <laughs> <laughs> Baines drives a hard bargain. <laughs> uh, but uh, so there's that. And then there's, you know, the fully rigged show with media, 
with full media package. You know, there's the Unplugged show, TLR Eagles mm, Unplugged, right. which we love doing. Did you ever do one? No, I never did a whole show, but we did a little set within the set. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, which know. is always kind of a sweet thing to do, too. Yeah. And yes, there's Dark Desert Highway and there's sort of two versions of Dark Desert Highway. There's the original version that had a sort of a story arc. And we have to be careful because it cannot be a musical. You know, we you get into the, you know, a different sort of rights issue, oh, you know, grand rights. If there's dialogue, if there's interplay between two characters and this kind of thing, it falls into a different and much more expensive rights category. Um, if you're going to build it into something that could say go to Broadway. Mm -hmm. But short of that, we did have a set designed. We did have a set built. Um, we built a lot of very well, very, kind of, kind of, uh, very pretty <laughs> and well synchronized, uh, visual media mm -hmm. and video. So that's kind of a centerpiece. You know, there's this, there's this desert highway road that ramps up into the screen. So there's a lot that's of visual cool. content. We hired a lighting designer to make sure we had very special, specific lighting cues. Um, and in the first iteration of dark desert highway, we also were entirely wireless. So we had no microphone stands on stage, really, at least on the front line. Mm -hmm. It was all more Broadway style lav mics, you know, on the right, face. Right. And that allowed for so much more mobility and use of the stage. We could use ramps and entrances. We were, of course, wireless on our instruments. And that was really, really a, a neat thing to do. We continue to do sort of a hybrid version of that at the same theater, we're scheduled to do it in October of this year, but who knows? Um, but it it is, you know, that theater said, do whatever you want to do, but it seems like mostly the audience just wants you guys to hear you guys do the, play the music and they want to look at the pretty set, you right. know? So, <laughs> so there's kind of both of those things. But that being gotcha. said, I would love to get together um, my buddy, Larry Poindexter, whom I've known since I was 13 years old and is a, gosh, I mean, he's, been an actor and writer all his life, but now he's a Broadway producer, having been one of the executive oh, wow. producers on the Share Show and some mm. other things. And um, I, he was the one that we hired back when we developed DDH, Dark Desert Highway, to be director. I wanted somebody whose sensibilities I knew that could be firm with me and everybody else and right. tell guys that were, you know, I came from an acting background. So a lot of stuff right. when it comes to working on stage is sort of 101 to me, but I, but I have to be reminded that not everybody does when they're a musician. It's kind of like, you have to tell guys, Hey, find your light right. or stop <laughs> fidgeting, yeah, you know, absolutely. quit drawing attention to yourself when there shouldn't be attention on you. And I right. needed somebody else to be that third eye to do that. So he and I have talked, he said, man, we both said, we'd love to revisit that. And then really, as you say, try to do more with it, mm -hmm. develop, it develop it into a really nice piece of theater. Yeah. Before somebody beats us to it. <laughs> right. I mean, it seems the natural next step of the, you know, the tribute thing is just yeah. to make a bigger, bigger thing out of it. Yeah. I think you're my first... Um, tribute? Jackass interview? Well, for sure. Oh. Well, no. Mm. I mean, Rudy was here. <laughs> I've been here every time. <laughs> I, and hey, you you mentioned the long run, you know, that, uh -huh. that yeah, he had exactly. performed shows with the long run of which you were a part too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved hearing that. But what I was going to say, I think you're my first native Californian. For some reason, you're going to be my 14th episode and you're the first native Californian. So I, yeah. but I think that's also what LA is like, you know, everyone's from somewhere else, but uh. yeah, and I, but I, that's true. I, I'm, I'm from this town. You yeah. know, I loved what Rudy was saying in his episode that, 
you know, and I think it seemed like you agreed, which was they talk about, you know, New York, New York, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. But he said, you know, yeah. if you can make it in L.A. as a performer and a, as a musician, then you can make it anywhere. I think there's a, yeah. there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, I think it's God, absolutely the, the same. If yeah, not harder. Exactly. You know, I also loved in that episode you talking about how. When you when you went to the Mad ha Mad Tea Party audition, and you know you beat out fifty five bass players, yeah, and that kind of thing. <laughs> but no, but I thought about that. I thought, okay, w w not to diminish that accomplishment, but you take those fifty five guys, and there are probably five that are real competition because. <laughs> and I'm I'm I yeah, you know well. look I mean Disney as as a company draws great people, but when I talk about that, it's it's that you know opportunity is going to favor the prepared. Yes. And, you know, and mm -hmm. you even talked about how, God, I kind of figured this audition thing out. I learned how to audition. I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be on time. I'm going to be versatile. I'm going to be a good guy. You know, yeah. and I, right. And I think that that's so critical, especially in a town like this, you know, yeah. and even in the tribute business, it's like, you know, I think more so in the tribute business because, you know, especially with a guy like you, like you say, you're super particular. Like we're talking yeah. tiny details. And uh, I thought I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I worked really, really hard, you know, to, to make that music happen. Yeah. Um, and and it's like even then there's just, you know, I would need to be the guy in the band for a good year to to just get it in you. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's hard to remember on any given show if you're only doing it once a month or, or once every two months, like, oh yeah, that line. Oh yeah, that line. You know, cause it's, it's intense music. But, it is. Um, but uh, yeah, you. And we have a tendency to, to give guys baptisms by fire. We kind of do. <laughs> we just, you know, we try to choose, you know, great guys. And as you say, man, it, it is, is I, I think you're absolutely right. Come to think of it. It, because in the tribute scene, what we do is not unique. There is somebody else who plays the same music, plays it well. Mm -hmm. Their show arguably may be as good, better, or not as good, the overall product. Right. But they're going to invest in playing the music uh, and playing it the way they hear it uh, and there's always going to be somebody else also younger, better looking and, <laughs> and, and more and hungrier, right. Ready to take whatever chunk of the pie you managed to have gotten. So right. you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, and I always say this too, you've got to be on stage. Your, your product has to be at least as good as, if not better than anybody else's. But yeah. beyond that, man, you've got to be great guys to work with. Mm -hmm. You got to, sweat the right shit as you yeah. are developing that business relationship with a potential client or any client. And then you've got to be good guys to have in the room. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think about that. And I thought about that when you were talking about auditioning mm -hmm. and beating out those other people. I thought, you know, Eric Baines is a guy who walks in the room, you know, he knows how to play his instrument. He's comfortable in the environment. He's got a smile on his face. He's there bringing good stuff to the room. And as our, wow. our buddy Larry Hampton in the in TLR says, hey, in addition to everything else, you, you got to be able to play well. You got to be able to sing well. You got to, you know, be aware of the way you look, but you also got to be a good hang. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and that comes up often, you know, but, you know, having said that, though, you know, I appreciate all that, but that's literally the only gig I've ever gotten from an audition. 
Oh, well, yeah, that's right. I mean, you I did audition for you sort of in your office, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, didn't that, you know, speaking of Rudy sort of recommending you, wasn't it sort of uh, something like he, he came in and, you know, he had been recommended to us and he was busy with so many things, be it Disney and the corporate shows and everything that he does and lights and uh, right. a, a, a myriad of yeah. things. And didn't he say, but I know a cat that would be really well, perfect for this. And then it's like, he, yeah, he, I think he, the way he told the story <laughs> is that you were like, yeah. And, and can you play drums? And in his head, he's like, no, but I know a guy who can. Oh, well, can you play keyboards? No, but I know this guy who, who can do that. And, you know, can you sing all these songs? And, you know, and it's just like everything that you kept in, like, oh man, Eric's really, you know, cause uh, I do sort yeah. of do all those things, you yeah. know, where he's, he's got some keyboard skills, but yeah. you know, other than that, he's, he's just, a, he's just a singer. Oh, I know. And a fantastic <laughs> one. And, you know, that is a testament also to, he is a testament to, one of the things that you were saying earlier when we were talking, and that is that you don't necessarily, when you see a tribute show, you don't always want to see a carbon copy. Right. You don't always want to see um, a, a lookalike, soundalike, and you definitely don't want to see a caricature or a cartoon. I don't. Right. But Rudy is a guy that he would sometimes, you know, he was probably in the in the litany of guys who have done Henley in TLR. He might have been in some ways further from that sort of Henley type than a lot right. of other guys have are. But he is so full of soul. Yeah. And just just the ability to entertain. Yeah. And he's and all his, over the stage. He's his in the charisma he's, and all of that yeah. stuff that there were people that said, I love Rudy the best. <laughs> well, we know you love him better than the rest of us. We do too. <laughs> but you know, and that's an interesting thing to me too, because we do have, you know. We, we employ professionals who make their livings as entertainers and mm -hmm. as performers and as musicians. So it's, it's by and large, guys are going to have multiple gigs and they're going to get called off to do this or that. So you yes. have to have a roster. Yeah. You have to have a bench and a roster and guys that come in and out. And so we've had a lot of that. Yeah. We do have a lot of that. Which is pretty impressive for that kind of a thing because it's so specific. Is there a, a thing where okay, I know all of Journey's music, so I'm playing, I'm subbing for all of the Journey bands, or is it so competitive that people don't really do that? You've got sort of a roster of people that only play with... What a great question. You know? Yes. Because <laughs> it seems super competitive. Yeah, and that is absolutely true. Um, we are not, in fact, I was talking to a girl I know tonight, uh, earlier today, great singer, and we were talking about the fact that, um, you know, we our next show coming up next weekend um, we, we, we're going to be under a liability because our Henley guy, who we do have play keys and we do have sit behind the drum kit, broke a bone in his right hand. Uh, so he can't play congas. Uh, he can't do some of the things that that guy does, as right, you well know, in right. our show. So we're thinking, what are we going to do? And we think, well, we might bring in a stunt guy that we've used before who who actually subs in the Joe Walsh role, but mm -hmm. we've sometimes had him be the keyboard guy, percussion guy. So I was talking to this, this woman I know said, Hey, a guy I play with, um, you know, I, uh, he plays uh, guitar and keys and he, he's a sub with another Eagles show. And there is that kind of like, mm, but there's another aspect to it as well. And it goes back to how you hear the music. When you're talking about an album like Hotel California, just as one example, or any of the other Eagles albums, there's so much layer in there. For example, there aren't the three guitar parts 
there are eight. Yeah. <laughs> so when you are a tribute band, mm. re- trying to replicate lush, really layered recordings, it you have that task ahead of you when you're starting. Right. A, what do we pick out and emphasize? Right. What do three guitar players do mm-hmm. to flesh out an eight guitar arrangement? Right. So how do we weave in and out of that to create the most authentic representation we're capable of? Right. You listen to other bands that play the same music that you do and you say, wow, they're good, but I'm not hearing the arrangement really. What they're choosing to bring to the forefront Mm. doesn't seem right to me. And I've heard the opposite too. I've sometimes listened to some that play the Eagles music and I've said, wow, I think they sound more authentic on that song. Interesting. I got to kind of go to school on that, Mm. you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's very interesting. And as you well know, too, I I mean, 20 years into this, I love listening to the recordings and and so do the other members of the band. And they listen and say, man, I listened to, you know, the the greatest hits album one. And man, I picked up some stuff in Lion Eyes or whatever that I'm not playing right. Or I pick up stuff and I'm reminded, crap. I've been phrasing that wrong right. for the last three years. Absolutely. It's a little nuance, but... Well, you also get into live recordings and like yeah. uh, now, you know, and, and if you play these songs in any other band, then you have all these numerous arrangements and like, you know, some yeah. of the stuff like Hotel California, especially I've played that with hundreds of other bands. Yeah. And like, I don't remember now what's right and wrong, you know, on any given show. You know, obviously I studied it all again, but there were like for the first couple of shows, I stuck to the songs I'd never played before more than a song like Hotel California, which I'm like, I've played it a million times. At least I can get through that. And then over time, it's like, okay, now I need to go back and really see what I'm doing wrong here. You know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of a stickler about a lot of that stuff anyways, just in general, you know, and after you get into that, it becomes sort of addicting. Like, how much can I make it sound like that? Oh, and yeah. you're also getting into the mind of whoever produced that record. And that's another thing is like, well, who am I to second guess the guy who produced Hotel California. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, and if I was really prepared, I'd know that guy's name right now, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a musician. I'm not a podcast host. <laughs> you know, and you're right. And yeah. when, you, when you were saying a moment ago that, okay, there are the records, there are those beloved studio recordings, and that's still a great Bible. That should yeah. be the Bible. But then, wait a minute, we're a live act. Mm-hmm. What, do we, what do we glean? What do we learn? What can we borrow from the uh, farewell one tour DVD yeah, or uh, the, the list goes on, you know, yeah. or, or, or anything else we can find. And that find. Hotel California live thing is, is, is just as famous a recording as the original that ja, 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 ending, like that's what everybody plays, yeah. you know? So it's a, uh, it gets, gets tricky. Someone's yeah. got to make a choice. That's the odds comes down to you and you're, you're the leader and you're a great one. Oh, well, oh that's <laughs> and you're there to make those, you know, this is what the part's going to be. You know, yeah. And more and more, <laughs> I just like it. Some with somebody, Hey, will you just be MD? And so I don't have to be, <laughs> yeah. and will you be vocal arranger? So right. I don't have to be, mm-hmm. let me just be the, the nag who gets this other stuff done. And right. So you grew up in Redondo. Manhattan Beach. Manhattan Beach. Yes. I mean, same difference. Oh, oh. no, my friend. Oh. Obviously, I'm not from here. I went to... <laughs> I, my high school actually was in a part of Redondo Beach, but okay. no, I was a, a Manhattan Beach boy. Were you a theater guy then, or were you a musician then, or was it always intertwined? Or I, You know, I, uh, I always tell people that I was just raised on this diet, 
by, by my parents and by the adults around me who were all arts people. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was a, a music educator, but also a conductor oh, cool. and arranger and, uh, and multi-instrumentalist. And my father, my mother was a really, really fine pianist. I mean, really good accompanist, mm -hmm. but I was always being taken to everything. A lot of plays, musical theater, chamber music, choral music, uh, solo uh, concerts, jazz, uh, opera. And- uh, That's great. What, um, I, 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 so I had both, uh, both influences, the, the, like the pure music side and definitely the theater side always in my life. And uh, the, I, one thing that was kind of a blessing and a curse, I think, in a way, is that I would listen to both my parents and the other adults that were our close friends evaluating what we had just seen on a drive home, for example, right. or, you know, whatever, the, in a restaurant, whatever. And I would, that is what taught me sort of the standards, you know, and that sort of the the blessing of it in a way, I I, I love that. And at the same time, I think I grew up with standards that I have always been chasing and have never been able to meet. You know, yeah, it's kind of like I, you know, I, I have this, this, this governor, this, you know, we all have it. It's the critic, yeah. you yeah. know, it's the critic. And then it's, then it becomes the imposter syndrome. A little yeah. bit. It's kind of like, you know, Hey, if people aren't already finding out, if they don't already know that I suck, then they're going to find it out at some point <laughs> or that I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, yeah, it was, uh, I'm, I'm still just, you know, in love with, I'm, I'm just in love with live performance. Yeah. Period. Live entertainment. And, and I don't really care what part of it I'm playing in. I can be the guy that's got the light on him if that's what's going to serve the show, or I can be the guy pulling the curtain. And I'm in plenty, there are plenty of times in my, in my professional life where I am directing something or part of producing something. But at the same time, I've got to get my boots on the ground on deck, just plug in the hole going where it's needed to be. And if yeah. it's helping that show happen, I don't care. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Cause you did go to college for theater. Yes. And I think that's a, you know, it's a perfect combination the tribute thing and theater and music it's you know yeah it's, uh i think you found your place yeah i think that's that is definitely when i realized uh i we went way way back to when when tlr started and you know for those first i don't know seven years or so um another guy that that was you know there on the very ground floor i was on the you know the the ground floor in that I joined before we'd started performing, but you know, one of those mm -hmm. original guys I talked about, you right. know, he, he was a band guy, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and did a really good job of leading the band, but he got it. He got burnt after a while. And he came to me over breakfast one day and he said, man, I am letting the band down. I'm grumpy. We're not really getting anywhere. We're not mm -hmm. getting better and better gigs. And he said, can I kind of hand it to you? And I said, I'll give it a shot, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's when I began to kind of steer it more toward the show because I always thought that that's what it needed to be. Right. You know? Right. Um, so yeah, again, I keep coming back to that, but you're right. Those yeah. influences of theater and um, just creating a piece of entertainment, not just yeah. being a damn jukebox. Right. You know? And it struck it was, me the first, you know, show that we did, you know, cause you're still, you're, you're also like, 
you know, don't be seen before the show. You know, there's a lot of theater rules that come along with, yeah. with being in, in, in the long run, you know, which are familiar. You know, I, I was never an actor, but I did musicals in high school or yeah. in the pit, you know, or yeah. like, you know, uh, um, but uh, so, but I don't know, for me, it was, oh, okay, there's, this is this, you know, it was yeah. a, a different experience, which the whole thing was like for me to even put myself out there and be like, Sure, I'll be Don Henley and stand up without an instrument and sing a song. Okay, I haven't done that since high school, but yeah, <laughs> but that sounds like a challenge and something fun, and you know, yeah. learning all those tunes and stuff. So, well, and I was going to say that if if the show and we are doing our job the way we see it, the way I see it, the way it's intended to be, then you are framed when you when you have to come out to the center and sing and set up Desperado and sing it. You know, for example, or dirty laundry, you know, and that is your moment. You know, if you are flanked by that strong sense of there's an upright structure here. Right. And everybody knows their place in that. Right. It's not just guys saying, okay, I'm going to just lay down the groove and I will be fine. Right. You know, yeah. it's, you yeah. know, we got we got our eyes on the ball. Right. There. And if you're yeah. feeling that, then that's exciting. Yeah. Well, it was exciting enough for that, that Lido theater. Um, I sent my, me singing Desperado to Dwight Yoakam as one of my, I sent like three videos and that was one of them. But, oh! uh, so like, he's like, he wants to see if I can sing. Well, here, here's me singing an Eagle song. You know? yeah. So uh, thank you for that. It helped me get the gig. <laughs> I, mean, I guess. I, I love you... that. <laughs> I found that, you know, also that uh, a lot of times I'll see guys that have worked with this, but maybe either are, you know, sometimes guys that we use or, or people that are past guys. And a lot of them still, when it's like, Hey, so-and-so has changed his profile picture. And invariably yeah. it's, oh, that was a picture with TLR. Oh, that was a picture from TLR. Oh, yeah. that was a picture, picture from TLR. And I, I, I find some pride in that. Well, you know, that's an interesting other part of this is that there is this, this crowd of people, like there is a fan base there. And, you know, is that I was something else I was going to ask you? Is that something that you've worked really hard to do, which I'm sure you have. I know you, you work really hard on interacting with your fans and there's a meet and greet after every show. But also these are fans of the tribute scene that you can almost sort of just tap into. Um, maybe it was a combination of both, but um, there is a, a great following of people, of great people that are really big fans. Yeah. It's kind of a cool added bonus to this whole it is. And you're at, you're right on all those accounts, on all those counts, you know, there's, there's just the general tribute, general tribute fan, mm. um, who has their favorites, of course, and they see them repeatedly. Um, Jim Wooten and I, again, for those who don't know Jim Wooten, though, everybody in the tribute scene does. <laughs> He's a uh, bass player, singer, yeah. also does, uh, Led Zeppelin. Yes, exactly. And, and you, uh, you, Deja Vu. Yes. Which is He's my currently, obsession. Yeah. Is it? Really? Oh, Good. So Let's cool. talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, yeah. He's in seven or eight tribute bands and right now. probably the nicest human being I've ever met in my life. Oh uh, yeah. He's got you fooled. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he is a hell of a guy. Uh, he, he is a, a hell of a guy. We've had this discussion, he and I, many times. I, neither of us could conceive of going to see any band, any one band as many times as some people like to see bands repeatedly. We don't right. look down upon them. We love the fact that that that, it, that that they're that way, and we love the fact that we can be part in any of the bands yeah. of something that makes them want to return and be a repeat patron. Um, but you're right. Uh, I think sometimes the ticket in is once again you're a tribute show. 
you go you go into a new venue in a new town and it's simply the music people don't necessarily know you that first time you know um right of course but they're just curious enough you know sometimes it's show me Mm -hmm. you know and other times it's just hey i love the music and i just would love to hear somebody playing it live right you know and be it and have it be an affordable ticket right Um, yeah that's the whole other but there's yeah but the they're here again, just to, to sort of uh, love on California mm-hmm. and the local scene, um, there is a very strong Southern California tribute scene, as you well know. Yeah. And part of that, I think, that was really given a shot in the arm by the Access TV show. Oh, interesting. The right. World's Greatest Tribute Bands. Yeah. And that that really did something. And, you know, for those who may be listening that don't know what that was... Um, Mark Cuban, who and Ryan Seacrest at the time, who you know mm-hmm. owned, um, and Mark still does owns Access TV. Essentially, you know he there was a um, a young on air personality, Katie Darrell. He she had finished up something else, and he said, "Hey, here's your new assignment: tribute bands." <laughs> you know, and Katie said, "Thank you, great." She walked away saying, "What the hell is a tribute band?" <laughs> you know, we and she we and she and I have talked about this. You know, That's I told funny. this story introducing her early this year at a access tv world's greatest tribute bands reunion party so i introduced her and i told her about and i told the crowd about how this happened and she you know later said yeah you know gig's absolutely right i thought these tribute bands cover bands these guys are going to be a bunch of hacks i got to make a show around about this (laughs) but she did she created the concept she produced and hosted the show and she is adorable and smart and um and and savvy and that show ran eight seasons, almost, we were talking about a ninth, it ran eight consecutive seasons and uh, started out, I think the first season was at the Roxy and then the, the every subsequent season was at the Whiskey the A Go Go, famous right. Whiskey A Go Go. And for a season would be, you know, 12, 14 consecutive weeks of a different tribute band performing live broadcast to five different continents every wow. week. Patrons would come repeatedly to those shows and we as members of the tribute community would come repeatedly, you know, right. maybe one night we might've been working, but the rest of it, we mm-hmm. would just go on those Wednesday nights every week and we would hang out yeah. with our peers. Prior to that show here in Southern California, we all, a lot of us knew of each other. We knew of each other's bands. We were competitive, mm-hmm. but we weren't personal necessarily. Right. We developed this sort of, tribute community family and started being supportive of one another that's cool that show actually made that happen katie became the matriarch and sort of our queen and she (laughs) her show brought us together and in turn also just evangelized the tribute scene in a way more publicly i think than it ever had been before and that's cool yeah it really strengthened the network so your your group uh castle entertainment group right so you you're involved with a lot of other tribute bands as well. Like you put them together and is that, yeah. What I mean, exactly do you do? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as little as I can get away with these days. <laughs> during, I tell you during COVID I have come to really realize and, and kind of embrace and sort of accept just how lazy I can be. Oh man. And my alcohol tolerance has gone up. <laughs> of course. And I've been, gotten better at woodworking, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we, we do, uh, I, I, 
for our group, Castle Entertainment Group and another division of that, which is 3,000 Miles Off-Broadway Productions, when it comes to anything that, you know, sort of our tribute wing, if you will, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy there because once again, I, I you know, it's just, it's just a field that I know very well. So right. sometimes we will build something from scratch. Um, other times it's just uh, giving... As I said earlier, we do show development and productions. We we uh, will sometimes create shows around something that already exists. For example, uh, there's a guy named Matt Mauser who is a Southern California local, uh, South Orange County. Mm-hmm. He uh, just happens to be a guy that can do a really good Sinatra. And one mm-hmm. of the things he has going for him is he's... You know, he's on the younger side. In other words, he's right. not there. There are Sinatra guys that are about as old as Frank would be now right. that are doing Sinatra. <laughs> you know, when we started working with Matt, you know, maybe early to mid 40s, young, handsome, vital, charismatic. That's the kind of guy that older ladies that grew up with Frank or had a crush on him want to see. Right. They don't want to see somebody older than they are. Right. They yeah. want to see somebody they want young Frank. Exactly. They want Frank when they were young. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Matt already had an act doing Sinatra with a big band. We created a show around him called Sinatra 101. And I had kind of written it in such a way that um, we created this sort of narrative where um, Matt is Professor Mauser and he's teaching, he teaches at Hoboken University. You know? <laughs> And, uh, you know, that we, when the, when the lights go down and he enters, you know, he's walking along with the Dean of, you know, the department saying, man, Hey man, I'm sorry. We got cutbacks. I got to have you pick up another class, you right. know, and it's called Sinatra one to one. And, you know, it's just this, again, this new loose thread of an idea, mm-hmm. you know, that has him walking into the class, writing his name on the big old chalkboard that's standing there on stage in the wooden frame on wheels. And starting to address the class, the, the lecture class, you know, and then he starts talking about Frank and he says, well, you know, we can't, no class about the life and career of Frank Sinatra will be, you know, right without listening to some of his music. So he walks over and pops a CD into like a boom box. That CD starts playing, come fly with me. And, and the sound is actually coming out of that boom box. But then mm. we go to full fidelity, the curtain flies to expose a 13 piece big band that takes oh, over geez. in real time, cool, you know, and that was a tribute show, mm-hmm. pure and simple. It's a tribute show, but right. with a theatrical device and framing right. to justify it being in a theater at a little higher ticket price and right. give people a show that, mm-hmm. you know, that yeah. has a program they want to read, you know, while, <laughs> while they're sitting there. But so, you know, we do that and, um, I, I get an opportunity to, you know, manage some tribute acts and uh, and as well and book them as well. But another thing that I get to do in my work is also help some entities and um, develop their series. You know, I'm, I'm the exclusive buyer or agent uh, serving some particular series that are like a concert, concert that are concert series. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, a, a theater, for example, or, or, um, um, you know, the, like, for example, the, the big Barry amphitheater, you know, up at the discovery center there, you know, I'm mm-hmm. fortunate to get to work closely with them and help them create their series, Cool. you know, and, and one of the things I like about that work is walking the line to 
serve the masters that I that I need to serve. You know, if you are the leader of a tribute group and I know you and we have a working relationship, I'm going to call you and let you know, here is what this gig is. Here is how you get paid. Here's how I get paid. And yet I also am trying to serve the interest of the auspice, you know, right. that has a budget and so on. Yeah. And I, I really like trying to do the best I can to exercise that necessary integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there are plenty of guys that I've seen that have been in bands, they've done their own contracts, so they know how to book a gig. And they decide they're going to become agents. And you can always smell right. when they say, yeah, well, I know what, I know what a band will do. I know what a tribute band will take. I mean, right. you know, it's yeah. kind of like, I, I know how to work it, you know? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, whether I accept this from you or not, whether I find merit in taking your gig, I also know that you're screwing me, right. you know? So, <laughs> and it's, it's not an easy line to walk, but I yeah. enjoy trying to do it. And I enjoy when I feel that an act knows that I'm taking, that I've got their interests at heart, but they also recognize that I'm working for the event and and the series so if i can successfully walk that line i feel good at the end of that day well that's great i mean the industry needs more people like you (laughs) (laughs) because it's a pretty uh once you get beyond your guitar or your bass or your drums it's a it's a pretty slimy it is situation underbelly of uh of the whole entertainment business it's unfortunate really yeah, it's. I don't even want to get dark about it. We don't have. To, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's, we're having such a great conversation, and like it's so easy. And maybe that's where this show will fall short because I'm not willing to to go dark as much as 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 other people might want to. But you know, there is this underside of this whole industry that's that's ugly and awful, and I I choose to not partake in it you know but uh, but it keeps you coming back it's like a yeah. golf swing man you know when you crack it just right and yeah. you see yeah. it sore man and it feels good and you didn't hurt yeah. your shoulder and <laughs> everything that keeps yeah. you coming back and but know. what i think is important though is a guy with integrity can still be successful you know and that's that's what matters like yeah. you don't it's not all you don't have to be an asshole you know? yeah you don't have to be uh slimy and and play the game that way and there's still plenty of room for everybody and there's plenty of work well there was who, yeah who the hell knows what's happening <laughs> know. but it's such a weird time to have this show but um and a great time to have it yeah, yeah. you said you had a gig uh next weekend next weekend yeah. and it's a drive-in gig and is there is there hope for that could that save us from uh from this COVID lockdown situation? Because what's, you know, just to go a little dark. Okay, yeah, sure. It, it, what's frustrating to me about the politics of this whole thing and, you know, Gavin Newsom, it, it just is so easily shrugs off millions of people's jobs when he's like, oh, there, there won't be live music until 2021. And I'm like, well, you can't even think of a way maybe, you know, could we, could we come up with some rules? Could we maybe entertain the idea, you know, for him to just throw it away and for me to be like, unemployment stopping here soon, you know, like just to feel just left out in the, you know, and I, you know, I want everybody to be safe. I want, you know, I wear a mask everywhere. I follow the rules, but to just have this notion of like, Oh, of course we're not going to have live music. It's almost like we're not allowed to enjoy ourselves. Everyone's supposed to suffer right now. We're very serious right now. There's no entertainment. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like it just doesn't feel, feel right. That that we're just being blown off, you know? And, and and so you have these drive-in theater shows that maybe that's maybe there's hope. How about hey Gavin Newsom? How about that? Can we do that? Could we figure out a way to expand that? Can maybe you 
have some sort of public fund to support that a little bit or you know what I mean like we we need jobs we want to work we're not lazy people you know what I mean? anyway that's my rant that's it that was your <laughs> okay respond <laughs> <That was> your... <laughs> the floor is yours well first of all yes uh, we have a drive-in show it's not at a like an old drive-in theater but the concept is exactly the same mm-hmm. um, this one happens to be uh, in the parking lot of the Oxnard Performing Arts Center up in Oxnard California Ventura cool. County they will uh, the, the sort of bullet points of it are uh, you know a stage you know semi-permanent stage has been erected it's about five feet off the ground and I know where they actually brought this stage from. And it used to be like a foot and a half on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> on the ground. So they've raised it, mm-hmm. which is better, obviously, for visibility. But it's also better right. for a sense of separation. Right. Faces not really, performers' faces not in the faces of the, of the patrons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will allow, I think, a maximum of 100 cars in. You pay, you buy a ticket that is a ticket for your car. And you gotcha. can put as many people as your car will hold mm-hmm. in there. Uh, if I understand. <laughs> I, I'm which actually, is, which is safe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got to quarantine, but if you can put ten yeah. people in your car, you're good. Yeah, that's right. That's funny. Oh, I'm starting to want whiskey. Anyway, uh, I'm just having a good time. Uh, Don't egg me on. Don't make me go dark. It'll go there. <laughs> oh, oh anyway, wow! Sorry. Dark bar, rock star. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, uh, so I think the concept is pretty much the same at many of these burgeoning drive-up concert events. You will get a space to put your car, and then you will have a space next to it where you can actually set out your some lawn chairs and sit, mm. and you can just hang out. You can hang out in your car or hang out outside your car. And then the next space over will be another car. Got so there's you. a way of separating people with cars as the partition. Right. Beyond that, I, don't, I really don't know. What I've been hearing is that... As most places seem to be, although there are these protocols that are supposed to be in place, it's also kind of the Wild West. People get out there uh, and rules aren't necessarily being followed. Mm. That's not going to help the cause. But in terms of whether or not there's promise and hope, yeah, everybody's trying to come up with solutions. The first show that TLR did back after a four month, uh, four months of being off. And by the way, when we found out all this was what happening was happening, we were on the island of Bermuda. Oh man. We were there to close a festival, an annual festival and do two shows. Mm-hmm. And on a Friday and on a Saturday. We found out Friday as we were about to load in wow. that the shows were not going to happen. Ugh. So we ended up having just a pay, fully paid 4-day vacation basically in Bermuda in wow. idyllic weather and gorgeous water. Oh, and we had yes. nothing to do but sit around and eat and drink. We returned and that's basically when everything started shutting down. In hindsight, you know, it's like, well, I hope if nothing else we've learned, we realize, hey, if we could just get like the world to hunker down and shut up for like just 30 days right. and do nothing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. then maybe we wouldn't be in this place. But after four months, the first opportunity we had to come back was at Paula Casino in the Temecula area mm-hmm. here in yeah. California. And they did it right. They, first of all, they have a beautiful outdoor stage, five or six feet off the ground. 
open air situation that'll accommodate 2,500 people, but they wow. limited it to five or 600. Yeah. They right. sold them very nominally, nominally priced ticket, like 10 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. The stage is 75 feet wide, 60 feet deep. Mm-hmm. They enforced, they, they took temperatures at the door. They set up groups of chairs that were all distance. Eh, two chairs here, three chairs there, four chairs there, six chairs there, depending on what, what the size of your party. And the only other rule was you can, you know, you can have your mask off when you're there at your, at your seating pod. But if you step away, put your mask on. Right. And they had people there to enforce to that enforce in as it. polite a way as they possibly could. Right. So we had this look of absolute, I mean, we're normally pretty smiley guys on stage. Mm-hmm. We're, we're genuinely happy and we're having a good time. I think the smiles were double wide that night because not only <laughs> did it feel great to be back and it all kind of fell together, but we felt like we were participating in part of the solution. Right. Yeah. Now we're in this area where there's a lot of scramble, you know, for, for solutions. And I, I see it. We participated in, in, in it to varying degrees, trying to be a part of the solution. But we also watch as, wow, you know, we can't dismantle that, this, guys. We're, we're trying to make progress here and resuscitate live entertainment. Right. You know, yeah. let's not screw this up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So we are seeing more and more drive up shows. And of course, we're seeing a lot more live streams as well. But the live streams thus far are not being done all that well. No. Most of them blow. Yeah. And how, yeah. And, and, and then the whole logistics, how do you make money doing it too? You know, cause that's the other interesting thing. Maybe that's, I don't know. I think the situation like, so how much money can you make of a, off a drive-in show? So that means all this sort of mid-level bands, it's going to be great for, they can gig, but like, you know, Beyonce is not going to be able to make enough money at a drive-in you know, yeah. to, 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 to put on a show. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a solution for it, a portion of it. Yes. For sure, and it's a know? lot of mutual back scratching and giving and taking because we know that budgets are just lower across the board everywhere. Yeah. Partly because it's just people experimenting, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, you know, you, you, you can you get a hundred tickets and that's it. Right. You know, and unless you're charging an arm and a leg, I mean, these are like 39 bucks, 59 bucks a car. Right. Uh, I think they're gradually inching up, but there's not a lot of gate potential. Right. So once you spread that among whoever the producer promoter is tech Mm -hmm. and an act, you're all just eating it. Yeah. Basically. Right. hoping that you're simply essentially donating your time yeah keeping your name alive and but donating your time also toward are we getting closer yeah and as you're you being say the guinea pigs and, yeah and, and, and our, getting our, things moving yeah progress yeah, are we absolutely. saying to the state and the country hey we're, we're fighting for this people yeah. you yeah. know you you believe we are non-essential mm-hmm. we think that what we do is essential well, regardless to the spirit of, of whether, humanity, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and we can get into that too on the part two of this episode. I said, but because uh, that's a tricky, that's a tricky one. Whether we're essential or not, I don't even know. You know, as a human being, whether my job is essential or not. You know, I go back and forth on that every day. But regardless of whether we're essential or not, we're talking about twelve million people with no jobs, and and it's not like people don't want entertainment. You know, you also have an audience, you have performers, it's all there. And, and, you know, that's a big chunk of the California economy to just ignore. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) There, I mean, going back to what California is, we are in the entertainment capital of the world. As we sit here, you and I live next door 
to Walt Disney Studios, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers, Nickelodeon, the Cartoon Network, NBC. It's all here yeah. around us. And we're just, you know, look, we look down over there and there's Hollywood over the hill. It's the yeah. chief export. Yeah. Exactly. Of this city and county that we live in really is entertainment. We can't do it. We can't do it. You know? So it's not, you know, I'm not even trying to make it political. No. I'm just saying. Me neither. We we need to, you know, it's a hard job for yeah. whoever is going to be the governor right now, you know, like, but so I'm not, you know, super knocking the guy, but we need more ideas. We need more willingness to, to at least consider it. Guys you know? like you and me need to show up at some of these meetings with yeah. ideas, actually. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it's true. when being this pretty, we're going to have uh, targets on our back. That's going to be difficult. And, you know, I got a podcast to do. I've got time for that. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. And by the way, speaking of this podcast, which I love, I, I was mentioning to you before we actually started recording this show called Off Camera with Sam Jones that I mm-hmm. love. All right. For I think it was his hundredth episode of that and or his 200th. He had one of his guests said, for your, to celebrate whatever that milestone is, it, you know, I, I want to interview you. I want you to be the guest. So I am offering <laughs> right now publicly for whatever episode, whether it's the 50th, if you get there or the Great. 100th, I would like to put my name in the hat as the All guy right. that flips it around on you, plays what? host on your own podcast and makes you the guest. I'm just making that offer. Okay. I would love to do no. that. I will, I will take you up. Let's make it 50. Okay. I'm at 14. Okay. Because I'm, I'm like, if I can get to 50, because hopefully I'll be on the road again eventually. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you're doing twice a week now, aren't you? No, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I did it for two weeks and I gave up. I don't blame you. Because, oh my gosh, it'll work, you know, because I edit all this stuff myself. And yeah. And some people sit down here and talk for two freaking hours. Yeah, I know. What, <laughs> what kind of asshole will do that? <laughs> How do we wrap up? Do we do we just say, well, okay, in essence, you want us to, hey, hey, uh, tribute tribute bands for dummies. You want to start one, do A, B, and C. <laughs> and, well, yeah. I mean, is that something you offer services? Like, do you want people approaching you and saying, I got a great idea for a tribute band. Would you help me? Absolutely. I'm at a is point that... in my life where I, I have spent two decades that I never thought I would, you know, in, in, in this field. And now I do feel, as I was saying to you earlier, I do feel that um, although I'm continually learning and I'm continually fascinated by it, I also think that I, I, I you know, I've amassed a lot of information about, I think, what uh, what needs to be there to make it successful, if that's what you're trying to do. Right. And this is about being, a, this podcast is about being a working professional musician and entertainer. Right. So one will assume that, you know, if you're listening to this and you're really, really interested and you've hung in for the three hours, mm-hmm. then, you, <laughs> then you, uh, then maybe you're, you might be entertaining the notion or, or yeah. uh, the, of, you know, in 2022 starting a, yeah. Yeah, a tribute yeah, yeah. band. And, you know, absolutely. I, I like sharing the knowledge. I, I have some definite ideas, you know, but mm-hmm. it's also about, Hey, what, what are you after? What are you, what are you looking to, right. to do out of this? And you know, I, if I can be of help, let me be of help. Great. It's been an awesome conversation, man. A lot of knowledge packed into this and that's kind of what the show's about. And, uh, thanks for being on and, oh. and, and just, uh, letting all that out of you. I'll tell you, Ebo, the pleasure is so mine, so completely mine. And I look forward to the next time that we get a chance to play together. You know, let's honestly. just make that happen. Sounds good. Maybe some CSN and Y. Ooh. And some Eagles. Look up Deja Vu. <laughs> mm. All right. Well, thanks, yeah. man. Hey, thank you, Eric. I'm a dog.
Well, I hope you got a lot out of that. There was a lot of information in this episode, uh, but really helpful stuff if, if you're interested in starting a tribute band or being a part of one or taking your tribute band to the next level. And I thought it was really interesting when you talked about music business versus show business, because I don't think that that's just for tribute bands. You know, that's something I had to learn over time and things like, you know, working for Disney and, and wearing costumes and, and working with gig, quite frankly, um, helped me a lot with that. I did spend a lot of time in bars leading bands, so I, I, I knew how to work a crowd. But when you're talking about pop-level gigs or big stages, everything has to be ramped up, you know, exponentially so that you're, you can entertain uh, people that are sometimes 100 yards away from you. But, and and it's just, it just points out that it's more than just playing your instrument or singing well. You've got to have some stage presence, and I think that goes f- far beyond just being in a tribute band. Gig mentioned that he couldn't go to Australia with TLR, and that was because of the pandemic. Hotel California, the record was produced by Bill Simchik, which is a hard one to pronounce. I had to look it up. Gig is not the first native Californian to be on the show. That's actually Lauren Gold, and he's from the Bay Area. And I looked up the word sinews, and I have to give him props for picking a really good word. Uh, according to Google, it means having many curves and turns. I'm just a bass player. I'm, I'm in charge of one note at a time. So um, I learned something on this show tonight. If, if nothing else, I learned what sinews means, and I hope that helped you guys out too, and I hope you had a great time. I'm a Wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news, please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, with all of our hearts, thank you for listening, and remember, it's all about dreams. Dreams.